Um, so we are in uh, chapter, chapter 5. Um, we are in chapter 5, verse 33 through 39. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to be there the whole time. Uh, Luke, if, if you can pull it up on version. Uh, if you have a Bible app, if you um, want to hear other parts of this series, if you've missed, you can go to our YouTube page. We have all of our sermons there. You can go to our, our, our website. You can go to social media. We're, we're avail- available as much as we possibly can because that's just the world we live in now. So um, we are in part seven. It's called Made New. Made New. And the main thing is this. Jesus doesn't call us to behavior modification. He calls us to a whole new life. All right? So the, the, Soviet, the founder of the Soviet Union, Vladimir Lenin, when he died, um, they wanted him to lie in state so that the entire Soviet Union could see his body and, and, and they had a procession through there. Well, if you don't know anything about dead bodies, they tend to decompose. And so they pumped him full of formaldehyde. And they went a little overboard. They pumped him so full of formaldehyde that his face swelled up and his, it was really pretty disgusting looking by the time they were done with it. They were trying to give him the appearance of being alive, still alive. That was the, that was the uh, command from on high. You got to make him look alive. And so the embalmers, the, the, the morticians did the best they could. And what they came up with was something grotesque and awful. And guys, that is what I see so much in the body of Christ. I see people who are dead in their sins, which is us, trying to somehow appear alive, but not going through the right channels, not doing things, uh, not not becoming made new. Um, And the point of the Christian life, you guys, isn't to get mean people to be nice. It's not... Like trying to get bad people to be good or profane people to be less, a little less profane. That is not the point of the Christian life, okay? It's not about doing things better or making improvements. You have to understand this. All that is, doing, all that is, is pumping formaldehyde into a corpse. Jesus isn't into quick fixes, virtue signaling, or band-aids unlike a lot of us. See, a lot of us came in here today and we go through life because... We're looking for someone who can do it cheaper. How many of you all have ever hired somebody or trusted somebody to fix something because they could do it cheaper? Okay, if you Google a guy who can do it cheaper, they're the funniest pictures I've ever seen in my life. Duct tape on cars. Um, I mean, copper lines that are bent without a, without a joint. You know, it, it's, it's hysterical watching that. And, um, and I, I, I want to let you guys know that um, I found somebody who could do it cheaper. I, I was thinking about asking Rodney Salee to rewire my office, but I found somebody who could do it cheaper. That's my office, yeah. Found somebody who could do it cheaper. Yep. Um, I was, uh, I, I was going to have Brandon Allen fix my back door the, um, to my patio, but I found somebody who could do it cheaper. Yep. Found somebody who could do it cheaper. Um, I, was, I, I tried to find somebody. I, I needed uh, Ken Hurtag to fix my AC units, but I found someone who could do it cheaper. Yep, yep, he could do it cheaper. And my band, men of a certain age, needed someone to build us a, build us a stage. I was going to ask Tim Bickert to build us a stage, but we found someone who could do it cheaper. 
Yep. So, yeah, yeah. We played on a few of those, haven't we, Jerry? Yeah. So what a lot of us are looking for is a Jesus who can do it cheaper. We're looking for the least expensive and the quickest way to fix our problems. And that there are people that are in here, as wonderful as you are, who would prefer that to doing what Jesus actually calls us to do. See, Jesus is, isn't the guy who will fix you as quickly and cheaply as possible. That's not who he is. We've already seen what happens when you hire that guy. All right, Jesus is very different from the guy who can do it cheaper because his call to you and me is not for quick fixes. His call to you and me is to come to him and die. We die to ourselves. We die to our sins. We die to our old broken beliefs, our old broken habits, our old ways of doing things. We can't just modify those things. They have to die. We have to die to self. See, guys, I realized something about myself. I'm not a good man who sometimes does bad things. It's not who I am. I'm not even a bad man who sometimes does good things. I'm a dead man who needs to be brought to life. I am a liar, worse. A blasphemer, worse. An adulterer, worse. A murderer, worse. A sinner who is 100% deserving of hell and who has to, no hope in his own strength for changing it. That's who I am. And I need to stop looking for the quickest, least expensive path out of here and start looking what Jesus had to say about it. See, Luke chapter 5, verse 33 through 39 says this. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. Then he told him this parable. This is the one we're, we're, we're looking at today. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they'll have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking the old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. See, so guys, the person that wants to find the Jesus who can do it cheaper is someone who doesn't really want to be saved from their sin. Okay, what I found is that there are a lot of people who don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want to be saved from the consequences of their sin. Um, there are people as wonderful as you are joining us online and in person don't really want to get rid of their selfishness. They just want to be freed from the consequences of their selfishness. A, a husband, a selfish husband doesn't really want to get rid of his selfishness. He wants to get rid of the consequences he wants God to make his wife stay with him. Um, th there are people who don't really want to get rid of their immaturity and their impulsiveness, but they want God to deliver them from their credit card debt. You see, they don't want to be delivered from the sin, just, just, just the consequences of it. I want a Jesus who can do it cheaper. They don't really want to do the discipline of prayer and fasting and study of Scripture and truly be a disciple of Jesus. They just want to go to hell, heaven when they die. They don't want to go to hell. They want to go to heaven when they die. So Jesus, what is the cheapest and quickest path to heaven is what 
a lot of people are looking for, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. That's, that, that, is, that is what he's talking about here. Um, they want a Jesus who can do it cheaper. And there are churches and Christians out there all day long promising this. You've heard this. You've heard this, that love, 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 grace, 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 grace. God loves you. He, he's there for you. You know, no change. He doesn't call you to follow. That's legalism. He doesn't really expect anything of you. You don't really have to follow. You don't have to lay down your life. After all, he gets us. And I'll just leave that there. The problem with we found a Jesus who could do a cheaper deal, number one is, well, number one, it's not Christianity. It's not Christianity. A few chapters later in the Gospel of Luke, we'll be preaching on this later on in the year. But Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And by the way, Jesus doesn't want you to hate your mom and dad. Don't get any ideas, teens. Don't go home and say, well, Dave said I can hate you. No, that's not what Jesus is saying here, okay? Remember, the Bible was written to an American culture that had Christianity through most of its history. My brothers and sisters in Pakistan and India who are Muslim and Hindu converts get this perfectly because they've had to forsake mother. They've had to walk away from mother and father and brothers and sisters, some of whom want to kill them for converting They understand that. What Jesus is saying is, listen, if your mother or your father or your brother or your sister, your family, your life is keeping you from following me, you got to walk away from it. That is what Jesus is saying. Okay? That's what he's saying here. Okay? So he doesn't want you to hate anyone. He's saying, even if your family is stopping you from following me, you got to walk away from them. Like I said, our brothers and sisters in persecuted countries understand this very well. And so Jesus isn't telling you to hate your mom and dad, okay? But Jesus who can do it cheaper isn't Christianity. He's calling us to disciple. He calls us to follow. And following him will cost everything. We have to be made new. And as a personal thing, as a pastor, guys, I'm tired of pouring out the message every week, every day into old wineskins. An old wineskin is a person who has no intention of being made new. The message comes in. And like Jesus says, the wineskin bursts and it just runs out of you like a sieve. The message of God, you walk out here exactly the same way you were when you walked in. That's not God's will for you. That's not Christianity, okay? The people who say, hey, Jesus, give me the least expensive path to heaven. That's what I want. Not the discipleship, not the dying to self part. I just want the part where you bless me. I want the Jesus who can do it cheaper. That's not the Christian faith. The second thing is that it doesn't glorify God. The Jesus who can do it cheaper, the quickest and the easiest way, doesn't glorify God. Romans 2.24 says this, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. When they see us so devaluing Jesus, the guy who can do it cheaper, when you see us so devaluing Jesus, they're like, well, you, don't, you Christians don't even value Jesus. Why would I? Okay? So belittling to God. It's kind of like the groom at his wedding or the bride at her wedding, right? When the pastor's about to do the vows, the groom said, hey, hang on, hang on, preach, hang on, time. Um, before I say my I do's, I, I just got to ask my bride here. Um, how, how far can I go before you get mad? Um, you know, how many, how many women can I look at before you, you know, start getting mad? You know, how, how, many, how many women can I slide into their DMs? You know, how, how many dating apps can I have on my, on, my, on my phone before you start getting mad? You know, you give me a number, give me a number, wife, uh, five, 10, 20, how many? 
Can you imagine a, a groom saying that to his bride? And the bride would look at him and say, you have no idea what it means to be married. See how seriously, and so so many of us are looking at Jesus. Jesus, how, how seriously do I have to follow you? I mean, seriously, how, give, give, give me a number, Jesus. How many sins can I commit before you, you know, kind of get mad? How much sin can I have in my life and still go to heaven when I die? Lay it out on, on paper for me, Jesus, because I got to know. And Jesus would look at you and say, you have no idea what it means to follow me. If you're looking for the Jesus that can do it cheaper, that's not who I am. It's belittling to God. But the third thing, guys, and I hope that this really resounds with you, is that it doesn't satisfy the longings of our souls. Looking for the quick and the cheapest doesn't satisfy the longings of our souls. Psalm 145, 17 through 19 says this, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. Verse 18, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. Um, guys, as I'm leaving my 40s, I'm going into my 50s. It's a real time of reflection for me because while I was in my 40s, I could kind of delude myself by, by, by believing, by making myself believe that I still had more years ahead of me than behind me. Well, turning 50, um, you, you guys, I'm, I don't know many, very many people that live to be 100, so most, mo- most likely I've got more years in the, in the rearview mirror than in the, in, the, than in the windshield. It has caused me a lot of, of, of thought it, it, to reflect a lot. I've asked the question, what would I want when I was 25 or 30 years old? What would I have wanted some guy leaving his 40s to tell me? To, to, what, 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 what would I wish, what do I wish I would have heard in my younger adult years, maybe 18 to, to 30? What, what would I wish someone would have told me? And, I, and I've, I, I said this, this is what I would wish that someone would have told me, is that there's one law that's never been broken. You know that? There's a law that nobody can break, only one. And is known as the law of sowing and reaping. You cannot reap something that you didn't sow. If you plant grass seed, you cannot reap an apple tree. You're going to plant grass seed, you're going to reap grass. If you plant immaturity, uh, chaos, lack of commitment, these things in your 20s and you're young, you are going to reap that. You're going to reap loneliness, discouragement, bitterness, because whatever you sow, you are going to reap. If you, if you sow commitment, responsibility, integrity, faith, if you, if, you, if you sow those things, you will reap those things and the benefits of them. You cannot break this rule. And if you go after the Jesus who can do it cheaper, if you're looking for the cheapest and most inexpensive way to to get better, you are not going to reap the faith, joy, love, purpose that Jesus has for you. I was asked by a younger person I was mentoring if I've ever, if I experienced a midlife crisis. And I said, not that I know of. It may be Coming in the next decade, I don't know, but, but I, I didn't in my 40s. And I reflected on why. Well, I believe this, and please hear me, because here's a, here's a guy leaving his 40s speaking to you guys. Your life is no more and no less than the sum total of the things you commit yourself to. 
That's it. That's what your life is. If you have committed to this and this and this, that's what your life will be. If you commit to nothing, you will have no life. And the, the freewheeling 20s and early 30s that this culture pushes on all of our young people, don't commit to anything. Stay free. Don't tie down. Don't invest in anything. Just stay free. Keep your options open. That, if you sow that in your 20s, young people, when you reap when you reach your 40s, you will have no life because you have no commitments. And that's when the midlife crisis happens. These 40-year-olds get arrive at 40 and they're like, I've accomplished nothing. I've done nothing. And nothing I have done for the last 40 years it will matter the day after I die because they've not committed to anything. Okay? I think many men have midlife crises. Women, too, because they make no commitments in their 20s and 30s. Therefore, have no life because they haven't committed to anything. Haven't committed to marriage, haven't committed to parenting, to career, to their faith, nor have they committed to following Jesus. They're running from thing to thing to thing and therefore reaping nothing. You cannot break the law of sowing and reaping. And so, my question to all of you today what can you commit yourself to that will bring purpose and bear the fruit that you want to reap? That's the question. What can you commit yourself to that will bring purpose and will bear the fruit that you want to reap? A person who is wise will ask that question and go after it. The Jesus who can do it cheaper doesn't call you to commit to anything. And therefore, you wind up with a midlife crisis, nothing of substance, no purpose, and producing no fruit of any substance. The opposite of the Jesus who can do it cheaper is the authentic Jesus who calls us to a radically different deal. The call of Christ, you guys, is to come and die. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Okay? Now, when I was early in my ministry, um, I, was, I was told by some pastors, uh, I was basically mentored by some pastors, and, and I was, I hate to say this, but I was mentored very wrongly. Um, I realized that what a lot of the people who, who were kind of guiding me in ministry, they were not telling me to call you guys to discipleship. They, they, they didn't believe that you guys could follow Jesus. They had such a low view of the people in their churches that they didn't believe that if they called people to follow Jesus that they would actually do it. So what they did, they, they watered down their ministry and basically, their entire ministry was trying to get lukewarm people to be less lukewarm. To get somebody who attended church once a month to attend twice a month. But somebody who didn't give to give a little. Somebody who cursed a lot to maybe curse less. And that was the highest goal that they had for you all. Because they didn't think you would really follow Jesus. And so I realized that my entire ministry was trying to get lukewarm people to be less lukewarm. Get complacent, people be less complacent. And I wasn't okay with that because that's not what Jesus did. Jesus enacted a policy I call the middle finger. Okay? You guys see my middle finger here? Okay? I'm not, these two are up. Don't, don't, don't say, hey, Pastor flipped us up. No, I did not. Okay? I got, I got three fingers. Okay? So, what I, what the, the, the deal in here is, there are three types of people in here. Okay? You got your hardcore loss. There are people in here, praise God you're here. 
who do not know Jesus, that have not become Christian, they're, they're, you're seeking, but, but you're lost. If, if you were to die today, hell would be your destination, okay? And I'm so glad you're here because this is where you need to be. You need to be in church, okay? You're hardcore lost. Then there are hardcore committed people. These are the people that, that, that truly are following Jesus, people that have committed their lives to him. They're, they're producing fruit. Maybe they're, they're, they're discipling their family. They're, they're involved. They're engaged, this kind of thing, okay? And then there's what the Bible calls the lukewarm, which you're kind of following Jesus. You're kind of not. You're sort of committed. You're sort of not kind of in the middle. And what I realized, guys, is that Jesus spent half his time reaching the hardcore loss. He's, he, he was famous for hanging out with prostitutes, tax collectors, preaching the gospel to them and, 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 and everything. He was, he was calling them to change, calling them to repentance. And he, hardcore loss. He also spent half his time with his disciples, his 12 disciples, the ones that committed to follow him. You know who he didn't spend time around? The lukewarm. Matter of fact, he has very strong words for the lukewarm in Revelation chapter 3. He says, because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Uh, I don't want them to do that to me. So, you guys, half your time, half the time with the hardcore lost, half the time with the hardcore committed. He reached the lost and discipled the committed. He didn't really have a whole lot of time for this. He, because right here, there were no results. There were no gains to be made. He was going to make converts and he was going to lead people. And so my question, if you're hardcore lost, if you're, if you're lost today, I'm going to ask you to become a follower of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to do that today. That's why I'm, that's why I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm begging you. I am challenging you to become a follower of Jesus. If you are lukewarm, I want you to know your spiritual state is bad. Okay? I want everyone to move to this category right here. Okay, it's a call to be made new. That's the call of Jesus, to the old is gone, the new has come. Now, I want to I do an experiment here. If you are under age 18, please raise your hand. And understand that there are more than like 40 uh, members of this church that are next door that are under. Please keep your hands up if you're under 18. Okay, now if you're under 25, join them. If you, please keep your hands up. You, okay, if you're under 25, okay. Uh, if you're under 35, please raise your hands. Okay, now keep your hands up. I want to ask you all who have your hands up, I want to ask you this question. Please keep your hand up if you agree with this statement. There's someone in my life who encourages me to grow spiritually. Okay? All right, please keep your hand up if you agree with this statement. There is someone in my life who challenges me to follow Jesus more passionately than I ever thought possible. I certainly wasn't expecting that. Honestly, guys, can you put your hands down? Honestly, I expected every hand to drop. I expected every hand in here to drop. Because you know what I would have done under age 35? I had to drop my hand the first question because I didn't know anyone who was challenging me to follow Jesus more passionately than I ever thought possible. I believe the people around me 
We're just trying to make lukewarm people less lukewarm and not challenging me. And it warms my heart that you guys feel like that. If you're under age 35, please put your hand back up again. Those of you without your hands up, I want you to look around. I want you to look around. There are a lot of people here that are in the beginning stage of their lives. My question to those of you who do not have your arms up, look around. And you know what, you know what would make this church great? You can put your hands down. If you were to go to one people that had their hands up and say, you know what? I'd like to meet for coffee with you once a week. And, and oh, oh you're, you're a new dad? Oh, okay, I'm a father. My kids are out of the house. Let me, I'd love to mentor you as a father. I'd love to, I'd love to, to you know, pour into you and, and, and to keep you from making some of the same mistakes I did raising my kids. Maybe, maybe uh, uh, one, of you, one of you ladies who, 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 who sees a young, pers- a young lady who's just beginning her career and say, hey, you know, there, there, are some really, there are some landmines I stepped on when I was beginning my career. I'd love to kind of mentor you and, and show you how you could be a Christian witness in your, in your place of work. I would love to do that. I would love to, I'd love to show you how to live out Jesus 9 to 5. Uh, during your work, um, I, I I would love for maybe a grandfather or a grand a, a set of a, a, a couple that's been married forty plus years. Look at a couple that is engaged and, and or, or a couple that's newly wed and say, "Listen, we have made so many mistakes in our marriage. We want to pour and we want to meet with you. We want to mentor you. We want to we want to challenge you. And we want to show you the mistakes we made so that you can do things better than us." That's how we know our church is really, really following Jesus. If we have people doing that, okay? See, the call of Christ is to come in and follow. And if we don't take that seriously as a church, if we don't mentor the ones coming behind us, people, what is our church going to look like? But imagine, imagine, I want you to step into a time machine 10 years from now. Let's say that every person who had their hand up, Every person who had their hand up was approached by somebody in this church and they got into a discipleship, mentoring relationship. And the, the people who, who have learned how to defeat sin, people who have figured out how to be married, people that have figured out how to raise kids, people that have figured out how to be successful in a career and, and, and walk with integrity, and people that have figured a lot of things in life out were poured into the young people. What would our church look like 10 years from now? What would our homes look like? What would our families look like? What would our children's ministry look like? What would our youth ministry look like if that happened? I want to tell you, I am more and more impressed with millennial and Gen Z every day. Not because they're virtuous, not because they're smarter, not because they're even doing things better in life. This is what impresses me about millennial and Gen Zers. They are the most open to mentoring and discipleship I've ever seen. Way more open than I am as a Gen Xer. Gen Xers, we didn't want to hear from anybody. We were going to do it ourselves. We were going to cut off our nose and spider face. We are going to make it in the world. We didn't want to hear from anybody. True, Gen Xers? Okay, that's not the way these younger people are. Researchers have called them the open generation. They're open. They're open to Jesus open to mentoring. They want to hear from you. Can I get an amen, Gen Zers? They want mentoring. They want discipleship. And they, they, they are looking because they don't want to make the mistakes that they see everyone else making out there. And they're coming to church looking for that. They're looking for Jesus. They're looking for mentorship. They're looking for someone to lead them and challenge them past where they thought they could ever be. They're doing that in the children's ministry. They're doing that in youth ministry. They're doing that in here. So what's it going to be, church? 
Are we going to challenge the people in our church to follow Jesus? Or are we just going to keep saying, eh, lukewarm people, be a little less, little less lukewarm? See, guys, when Jesus says, I want you to be made new, this is what happens. Ephesians 4, through 24 describes the process right here. If you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteous and holiness. The old, step one, the old me has to go, okay? I cannot add a little Jesus to my old me. That's pouring new wine into an old wineskin. It's just going to run right out. The old me has to go. My old habits, my old uh, beliefs, my old hurts, my old past, my old dysfunction, my old toxicity, all of that has to die. Okay? Not, you, can't, you can't bring that along with you. You have to die in order to be made new. Okay? It's like an oil change. How many of y'all have ever done an oil change? First step to doing an oil change, you have to drain out the bad oil. When that oil comes out of the engine, it's black. It's toxic. If you were to pour it on the ground, it would kill everything there is. Okay, We have a bunch of old oil. We've got to drain that out before you can do anything else. The second thing is you've got to stop looking for the Jesus who could do it cheaper. You've got to change the attitude of your mind. I gotta stop looking for quick fixes. I gotta stop looking for the easy way, and I need to lay down my life and follow Jesus. That's known as changing the oil. The second step in an oil change is changing the filter. Okay, you gotta be made new in the attitude of your minds. And the third is become a disciple of Jesus who calls you to follow you to pour new oil. Only after you've drained out the old oil and put the new filter on can you put new oil in without destroying your engine. In the same way, Jesus is trying to get in to your life, trying to get in, but the old oil is there and it's just not happening. So before Jesus can fill you and change you, you have to let the old, old person die. The old ways, the old hurts, the old toxicity that's gotten you nowhere in life. And Jesus says something interesting at the end of this passage. It's really easy to miss, you all. But I think it describes us to a T. He says, there's no one after drinking the old wine wants the new because they say the old is better. And the meaning of that eluded me. I had to study it all week. I had to pray, I had to get alone in my prayer closet. I didn't understand the meaning. By Friday, I still didn't know what it meant. I fasted all day Friday to try to find out. Broke, broke, uh, sorry, all day Thursday. Um, fasted all day Thursday to try to find out the meaning of that. And he revealed it to me. Isn't it amazing how totally in love with the old toxic ways we are? Isn't it amazing? People prefer the hell of the old because it's known, it's familiar. Not because it's good or beneficial or life-giving or joyful. Because they're comfortable with it. Like a slave that prefers his chains because the thought of freedom is just too scary. I was talking with nephew of mine at our Christmas family gathering in December. He's an HVAC guy. Got a lot on the ball. Does HVAC for a living. Air conditioning. And the reason he got in there is he said, well, what I've learned is that people sacrifice their firstborn child before they'll give up their AC. I got some pretty good job security. 
I was like, yep, yeah, you do. And he was asking how ministry was, and I told him, honestly, that I envied him. He goes, why, why do you envy me? And I said, well, you, you, you see a problem. You go to a house, and the AC's not working. And you change this part, you run this electrical line, or replace unit, and at the end of the day, it's working, and you can see, you see something, you can see results from the work of your hands. I say, you know what it's like as a pastor? I see a problem. I tell the person what the word of God says. Point them to freedom. And they don't do it. They stay in the old ways. They stay in the old self. I counsel couples for months sometimes, years. And they stay right where they are doing the same things that caused them the brokenness. Same thing over and over and over again. Like they're afraid of being free of it because the new wages is too scary, too anxiety-producing. I preach every Sunday, and I see people who know the truth simply ignore it or fear it and just go back to the old ways. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Once you've fallen in love with the old wine, the old self, the old ways, you don't want the new because the new is just too scary and you romanticize the old ways that it's better. So what old wine are you guys preferring today, church? What old ways are you clinging to even though they've gotten you nothing but pain, nothing but brokenness, nothing but discouragement, nothing but joylessness. What old ways are you clinging to when Jesus calls you out of that to a new life? If you're seeing week in and week out, the word of God is pouring into you and it's just pouring out like water through a sieve, running right back out, Jesus is calling you to be made new to become a new wineskin, a new creation, so that when he pours his Holy Spirit into you and his ways into you, they stay and they grow and they produce the things that you've always wanted to produce in your life, where you have a purpose and you have the fruit, the bearing the fruit that you want to see in your life. I'm inviting you to lay down the old ways. Church, hear me. I'm inviting you right now, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, now. Lay down the old ways, the old sins that you still love, the old toxicity, the old insecurities that make you hide from life, the old framework of seeing the world, the old attitudes, the old search for Jesus who can do it cheaper. I'm asking you to lay it down and allow the Holy Spirit of God to make you into a new creation that is free, finally free from the old ways and the old self and be made new. A new creation that can receive God's word and allow it to remain in you, to grow in you, to take over you from the inside out and turn you into the person that God created you to be when he willed you into existence. We're having a baptism service on March 31st, and if this message has resounded with you, you're like, I 
The old me has to die. It's gotten me nothing but joylessness, pain. I'm having the midlife crisis. I haven't committed to anything, and I've got nothing to show for it. I have no purpose. I have no fruit to show. Matter of fact, the fruit in my life is toxic, and everybody sees it, and I need to be made new. I want to invite you today. After service, I want you to come see me, and I want to pray with you, and I want to schedule you for a new baptism, a, a, a new life, a new becoming a new creation. You've got time to think about it. If you need time to think about it, that's fine. Don't make this decision quickly, but don't miss the opportunity to lay down the old self. Become a new wineskin today and allow the Holy Spirit of God to fill you and set you on a course that you never dreamed possible. God bless you, church. We'll see you next Sunday. Bye.